Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You may be seated. I, I, I appreciate uh, Brother Josh, the video and those words and uh, picture of this Marine that probably I've never seen before, would have never seen in my life had I not heard his story of bravery and sacrifice. And I, I do mean that. That is, um, I, I was thinking as he was reading this account of this Marine that fought so bravely that no one joins the military thinking that I hope I die, I hope I'm killed, and yet the fact that you are engaged in part of warfare and potentially are involved in that, uh, the possibility is great. And do you have the uh, character to uh, give yourself, give your life? And I, I know uh, when we think in terms of, you know, um, living for God, it's involved in warfare. And it is uh, joining the ranks of the redeemed is that sense of I'm going to be in a battle. And I, I thought this past week we had a young man uh, in a missionary service who had been a Marine uh, for six years. And it was as a Marine that he saw baptism in Jesus' name. And, and uh, that was his first time really to be involved in church and fought through some addictions and so forth. And here uh, he's now going to go and marry a Japanese lady, going to be in Japan and, and uh, is all out for, you know, I'm going to serve the Lord. And what a, uh, I, I pray, I, in fact, um, uh, Brother David Guy and I uh, met them again and took them, I think, Friday to eat. And... Um, um, I, I was telling him, I, I hope I, he's green. He's a, a young recruit. He's a newbie, if you will. And uh, I, I pray, oh Lord, make him, uh, I hope he survives, makes it, and uh, uh, doesn't uh, get discouraged because I can only imagine being uh, there and being on an island and uh, he's the only, uh, he and his wife, the only ones basically that are trying to, you know, uh, reach an island of uh, se several thousand people and he doesn't speak the language. I'm, I can just imagine being overwhelmed at all of that. And, and it kind of uh, is overwhelming to me. And yet what I realize is that today is not just Memorial Day, it's Pentecost Sunday. Yes, and the power of the Holy Ghost is amazing. And that's the power to get up out of the grave. That same spirit that got Jesus up out of the grave is the same spirit we can have today. Right. And so if anybody has a chance of making it, it's somebody that is filled with the Holy Ghost, yes. baptized yes. in Jesus' Thank name, Jesus. and ready to meet the Lord. 
And I, I know uh, we are growing apostolic legacy and we are blessed. We've had this uh, doctrine and this lighthouse here in this church uh, over a hundred years and today is Pentecost. And what I, I was teaching Brother Seth uh, Bible study and, and uh, talking to him about Pentecost and what, what it was. And so I, was, I, I, I tried to, I, I realized that probably everybody here understands it, but if you spell the word Pentecost, it is P-E-N-T-E, Pente, Pentecost. And that is the, basically that word, Pente, means 50. And, and that's the history, of course, of the birth of uh, our church, the birth of Pentecostalism, the birth, the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And we point to Acts, the second chapter, and we look at that as, you know, this is the, the birth of the church. This is where it all is, that it began. Of course, we know that Jesus talked about the church, he uh, talked when he said to Peter that the revelation of who he was, that Jesus was the Christ, uh, was, and upon this uh, knowledge, I will build my church, uh, play another place, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we look at that as that moment when they were in an upper room, 120, and yet, Unfortunately, we know that Jesus had appeared to over 500. Not everybody went to the upper room, but those that did experienced what they felt like was a rush of a mighty wind. They appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they all began to speak in other tongues. As the Spirit gave utterance, they spilled out on the street, and that's what we say is the birth of the church because over 3,000 were added to the church that day. Yes. It was an amazing experience, and yet this experience had been prophesied in the Old Testament. The book of Joel had talked about in the last days that there would be this outpouring of his spirit, and the sons and daughters would prophesy in dreams. And in fact, Simon Peter referred to what Joel said on the day of Pentecost when he preached the sermon, and he said, this is that spoken by the prophet Joel. But it wasn't just Joel. It was Isaiah who also had prophesied that with stammering lips and another tongue would he speak to his people. Ezekiel prophesied. Jeremiah prophesied. And, and when this happened, it, they had gone there waiting for that experience to happen. And later, you know, there were things that were said uh, in the verses. In fact, uh, Ephesians, uh, the fifth chapter, and I, I didn't put a slide of this on your, uh, on the PowerPoint, but it starts out, husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church. Loved the church. And then it says, and gave himself for it. The next verse says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by what? Word. The word. Everybody say the word. Word. Everybody say the word. 
the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. Now that's in Ephesians. And we often look at that as simply, you know, well, what is the word? And then it opens up a whole sort of uh, <coughs> overwhelming, you know, kind of, of um a dialogue, and I've heard people talk about and, and sort of ask questions about and kind of look down their uh, ideology at because, unfortunately, we have often found ourselves as being um, people that talk about the Word of God a lot. In fact, we actually probably at times have gotten too far, you know, it's where God told me. And you might hear people talk about, well, God told me, God told me, God told me which tie to wear, God told me which, you know, pair of pants to put on, God told me, and everything is God told me, God told me. And others kind of go, oh, I don't know, man, God told me all that stuff. I, he didn't talk to me at all. And then some people say, well, he's not talking to people unless it's through the word of God, through the Bible. And yet, there are some principles of understanding about the Word. And that is, number one, God's Word will never contradict itself. That's true. So, if there's something in the Word of God that says one thing and you're saying something else, then what you're saying is wrong. <laughs> Sorry. God's Word, Bible, trumps everything. Then there are principles of authority and those kinds of things. God is not going to go outside of spiritual authority and contradict spiritual authority. I'm not talking just necessarily, you know, the government can say something. That's not spiritual authority. The government makes it legal to do whatever, smoke pot, drink, whatever. It doesn't mean it's spiritual authority. You understand? But spiritual authority trumps your own word. Now, if it's spiritual, it will jive with the word, the Bible. If it doesn't, if it's, you know, if I preach anything, that's why Paul was very adamant about follow me as I follow Christ. That's right. He was not saying... He was saying, I'm spiritual authority, but if I get out of my place, That's right. don't follow. You're not, you don't look at me as spiritual authority. Sorry, that's just the way it is. But he said there is a washing. And we could spend a long lesson on talking about, you know, understanding. And some people I know use it more uh, you know, God told me this, God told me that, God. And, and, you know, unfortunately, when you play the God card, and you've often heard me say, there's very little I can do about it. You know, I mean, if somebody comes up and says, you know, God told me to, you know, jump off the end of the pier, you know, I, I was like, what do you think, Pastor? Well, it's like, do you, why do you care what I think? You got it direct. I can't say anything to trump that. Now, if you're seriously wanting to know, I'm, I'll tell you, well, I don't know. Let's pray about it. 
Let's look in the Bible. You, you understand? And yet, sometimes people sort of loosely talk about the Word. And yet, when you understand Pentecost, you understand really what 50 means. You see, Pente equaling 50, seven times seven is 49 plus one day. So what does Pente, what does the 50 follow? The 50 follows the fact that they celebrated the Passover in Egypt, the first Passover where they put the blood on the door uh, and the doorpost and the lentils and side post and, and they and the death angel passed over and they left the land of Egypt and went through on dry ground. And 50 days later, they had traveled down to Mount Sinai and the finger of God wrote into the Ten Commandments and gave the law. So Pentecost represents the giving of the word. So when the word comes, it's Pentecost. And so they celebrated the feast with baking loaves of bread because there was fire that fell around that mountain and there was the windstorm and all of the things and the people were afraid and Moses came down with two tab tablets. So in the Jewish culture today, they celebrate with two loaves of bread and they walk through the street and wave them and the day of Pentecost is fully come. Two loaves of bread representing the two tablets that Moses got when he went up to the Mount Sinai. And so that's the day of Pentecost. So here they were and they understood this sort of thing. And when you read uh, what the point of Pentecost, the first Pentecost was the giving of the law, the giving of the word of God. Now, I mentioned Ezekiel, one of the prophets, and he said, I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out the stony heart out of thy flesh and will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. Jeremiah 31 says as well, he says, behold the days cometh saith the Lord that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will put my law, my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. So Pentecost Sunday was about the writing of the law on your inside. Hallelujah. So sometimes when people say, God told me I shouldn't do that. God told me I don't need to go there. They're really being honest because what they're feeling is the finger of God 
that said, no, you don't need to do that. Right. Now, I don't know if everybody, you say, well, I've never felt like that. Well, praise God, there ought to be some check. I, do I believe that the, the law is still important? Yes. And do I think the Lord's going to tell you to jump off the end of the pier? No. But he, I, there's something when you get the Holy Ghost, there's something inside of you that says, oh, no, that shouldn't be happening. And if you've never felt that before, you need a new Pentecostal experience. Now, whether or not you want to say, well, God told me and I understand, we, we look still at his word. But, you know, we, we have to understand what was the purpose of the Holy Ghost. And, and the purpose of God's spirit was not only that this was a, a new manifestation of, of his presence because the very fact that whenever he told of the lady, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. But in John, this spake he of the spirit John the seventh chapter when he said you shall receive the promise of the father this is a gift as brother David Post said this morning the comforter not only that is it's a seal of ownership whereby you are sealed unto the day it is like putting a mark on you that's what the Holy Ghost is all about it is a witness that we dwell in him and he dwells in us you say well pastor do I need it oh I ought to have it I should want it it's not a question of do I need it it's supposed to bring rest and peace and joy righteousness peace and joy where in the Holy Ghost is what the Bible says it helps us pray sometimes when you don't even know how to pray the Bible says the spirit inside of us prays. You say, I, I don't know how to pray about this situation. Then let me tell you, stir up the gift of the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. It will teach us. It will lead us. It will guide us. It gives us power over the enemy. In fact, Paul in Corinthians wrote about the gifts of the Spirit and, uh, and in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit and all of that. You first have to have the initial infilling of the Spirit in order to have the gifts and the fruit. That's why the Holy Ghost is for us today and is so important. You say, well, I, is this, I, I'm not really sure, you know. Well, Jesus himself prayed in the garden. One of the greatest prayers for mankind right before his crucifixion. And he had told them, you know, that he couldn't give them this spirit. I have to go away so that I can come again. And uh, over and over. And, and then he said these words. He asked, he says, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. And in case you don't know, thy word is truth. The Holy Ghost that's supposed to be inside of us is supposed to be constantly course correcting us. If you find yourself running a field, then you're not letting the Holy Ghost talk to you. You can say, well, Pastor, I don't know. I know what you would say, but I know what the Bible says, but I want to do it. You've got to let the Holy Ghost flow. 
Jesus goes on and says, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself. Why? That they also might be sanctified through the truth. So when you look, this first evidence of anybody receiving the Holy Ghost that happens in Acts, the second chapter. There were the apostles that were there. There was Mary, the mother of Jesus, that were there. She was there. And then you later go to Acts 8, when finally the Samaritans, Philip preaches to them, and then Cornelius, uh, the, and, and, and the Gentile, the centurion, and we're going to talk about him just in a moment, and the disciples of John in Acts 19, and then and the apostle Paul. The book of Acts is full of examples where people spoke with other tongues. And why would he choose your tongue? You know, some people say, well, I got the Holy Ghost just quietly and I didn't speak in tongues and, and I felt the Spirit of God and I, I believe people can feel God without speaking in tongues. But why would he choose the evidence of a glossolalia or a tongue-talking experience on the Acts, the second chapter, and Acts and go through it? Why would he do that? Well, you know, first of all, because God's God and he's sovereign. He can choose whatever he wants. But there are verses that let us know out of the abundance of the heart, the... Now some of y'all, you know, have never experienced that where you were so mad that you said something at that moment that you wish you could grab and take back. I know y'all have never been there. Cool. And people have said, yeah, well, that's because at that moment, my emotions, my heart was so overwhelmed. Now, you all have never done that. I understand. But those that have realized that out of the abundance. And so if the law is being written in my heart, there ought to be something that comes out my mouth that lets me know a heart transformation is happening. Because, unfortunately, I know we can use sign language and we can do a lot of different things, but, you know, what comes out of our mouth is our chief method of expression. And, it, it, you know, the, again, as James said, it's a very difficult member to control, and that one little member can guide the whole ship. And, you know, it's like, uh, amazingly, I have seen individuals that had no hearing, that could speak in tongues when they got the Holy Ghost. I have, uh, in fact, there is someone asked one time, and it's, uh, it was kind of put a grin on in everybody's face because uh, they said, I wonder when Caitlin and David's baby is born, if it'll have an Australian accent or an American accent. Uh, 
and everybody just smiled because we weren't sure it was being funny or it was being real. But the truth of the matter is that baby could have a Chinese accent if it ends up being raised in China. That first few months of its life, it speaks the sounds from every language. It's universal. It doesn't have a certain accent. In fact, children that are born deaf speak perfectly for the first few months. And then they no longer hear and they lose the ability to communicate. Why? Because at that moment, they're listening for certain sounds and then they start mimicking those. And so if that baby were raised in China or if it was raised in Russia or if it was raised in South America, it would speak with a whole different accent. Because there was something about where they were raised. So when people get the Holy Ghost, that's why Simon Peter, uh, uh, Luke described it, when they were all in one accord and in one place, there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. <laughs> You're speaking not with a, an American accent or an Australian but all of a sudden you're speaking words that came straight out of the portals of heaven itself. What a privilege! On Pentecost Sunday you say, well, you know, in fact, and I mentioned Acts the 10th chapter because, you know, we see Stephen is stoned in the 7th chapter. Believe it or not, Acts the 10th chapter happens eight or nine years after the day of Pentecost. It's not just chapter 2, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter... Eight or nine years after. Nobody in the Gentiles other than the half-breed Samaritans have received the Holy Ghost. Even though we know the Lord had before the dispensation ended and he was crucified, the Lord had pushed his disciples to stick his foot into that next dimension of this gospel going to everyone. One of the most famous examples was that of the centurion that came to Jesus. Remember, it's found in Matthew, the book of Matthew. And this was a centurion soldier. Some people actually theorize that the centurion that ends up in Acts, the 10th chapter, is the same guy. I don't know. But what we know about this centurion was that he did not send word to Jesus, which is amazing. He was an officer in the military, Memorial Day. This was like, you know, 
I don't know that he was a general, but he was more than a sergeant. It would be like a captain. He had a band of soldiers, Brother Josh. And he, what do, what do officers do? They give orders. They tell people to do things. Hey, you go over there. I, you know, it's just, you know, me and my powerful staff. I, I don't hardly do anything. I don't even get my own sermon. I tell somebody on the staff to get it. Put it on my desk. Show me what to preach. Not. I don't have to do a thing. Because I'm the captain. I'm the general. Right? Do nothing all day. A lot of people think that. This is fine. Anyway, has a sick servant. <laughs> a servant. A guy he bought. A guy that he may have conquered <laughs> and captured his family. I don't know where the servant came from, but a sick servant. Not even a fellow soldier, but a servant in his house. And yet, that centurion loved that man enough that he did not just send orders. Remember the story? He didn't just command one of his underlings, go get Jesus, bring him here. He had the authority to do that. What was Jesus going to do? If the Roman citizen came and said, the soldier, you're going with me. Guess what? You go with them. I mean, it's more than a policeman, you know. Policeman comes and says, go with me. You can go. Why? You have a warrant. What are you doing, right? But we're not talking about that. We're talking about a soldier. And he wasn't Jewish. He was a centurion. And, and why would he want to go and get a Jew? Uh, you know, one of those people that they've conquered. And the centurion, you know, here comes the centurion up to Jesus. And he says, Master, read it in Matthew. My servant is sick. You, you remember the story, right? And what does Jesus say? All right, I'll go with you. I'll go. I'll, I'll work a miracle. And then this centurion soldier said something amazing. He said, Lord, I am not worthy. You, you should come under my roof. But speak the... Just say a word. And if that word, wow, is going to heal my servant. And then he goes on to say, I understand authority. I'm a man that's under authority, and I have soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come. And he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. But yet something, was it the deep need? Was it his love for 
the servant, but allowed him to humble himself and to have the faith in the Word of God. Although he was not Jewish, although he was not a believer, when Jesus saw and heard what this man said, you can read it in Matthew, the eighth chapter. He marveled and said to them that followed, Verily or truly I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you, listen to this last phrase that Jesus puts there. He's talking about the centurion. I've not found such great faith. And then he says these words, many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the now, the Jews already believed that they were going to be seated with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Jesus was revealing a moment that, let me tell you, just like this centurion, there are going to be all kinds of people from the east and from the west, from the north, from the south, that are going to come and have a place with the kingdom of heaven. Oh, and this wasn't the only point. In, the, in John, the fourth chapter, a Samaritan woman that came to Jesus, remember? And she was in need, desperate need. My daughter is in desperate need. She humbled herself, and when the disciples sent her away, she kept coming back, and she kept crying out and pretending that she was a Jew. And finally, Jesus even looked at her and said, it's not meat that I give the children's bread to dogs, basically calling her a dog. And her response was, truth, Lord, but the dogs get a crumb. And when the Lord basically didn't go to her house either. You know what he did? He sent a word. Go back. Your daughter has been healed. I'm here to tell you the word that fell on Pentecost Sunday. If you want to receive it, number one, you have to want it. You have to have a need for it. If you come thinking, you know what, Lord, if you give it to me, fine. And if you don't, fine. Let me explain to you, you'll never be in the position of getting it. The Bible is very clear. They that hunger and thirst shall be filled. What are you saying? You've got to come and say, Lord, I want the Holy Ghost. I need the Holy Ghost. I believe you have the Holy Ghost for me. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to be willing to cry out if necessary. You've got to be willing to worship, to raise your hands. You've got to have faith. I believe that there is a Pentecostal experience for me, a word-enriched experience 
that I can have. That's why the very last words that Jesus said as he was right before he was taken up, he said, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world, the earth. Simon, when he preached on the day of Pentecost, he said, for the promises unto you and to your children and all those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. But it took three visions, a wrestling match with God before Simon would go to the house of a centurion by the name of Cornelius. And it was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go there. He didn't think about the fact that Jesus went to Samaria. Jesus healed a centurion servant. Jesus said that there would be people sitting with Abraham, Isaac, and Jesus. He didn't think about any of that. All he thought was, this isn't for the Gentiles. This is strictly a Jewish experience even though he said to all the world Philip was the one that went to Samaria wasn't Simon but the Lord wrestled with Simon let down a sheet finally he goes and he took some people with him I imagine because he was embarrassed that he had to go himself and the Bible says that while Peter yet spake That rushing mighty wind that they had felt on the day of Pentecost started moving through that household. And all of a sudden, Cornelius and several of his servants and staff members started speaking in other tongues. And Simon looked around. What's going on? What, where, what? And the Bible says they were blown away. They marveled that these people got the Holy Ghost like they did. You know what he said? I might as well baptize them. Might as well baptize them. Because the Lord's poured out the Holy Ghost on them. The Lord was going to pour it out. You know what? As Brother David said over 2,000 years ago, and the beautiful part of all of that is he's still able to pour out his spirit today. What are you saying? Lord, fill me with your word. Oh, does that mean I never have to read the Bible again? No, I have to make sure that what I'm feeling and hearing is in sync. But fill me with your word. If you come and you just say, Lord, I, I want to receive your word inside. I want a renewing of the Holy Ghost. You, you, you know, it's amazing. When you get overwhelmed with fear, when you get overwhelmed with anxiety, that's why Paul wrote to Timothy. And he said, Timothy, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And if I were you, I'd remember what happened to you when we laid our hands on you and you got the Holy Ghost. And I would tell you, stir that up. Why? Because there's something powerful inside of you. The very Word of God is inside of you. The Spirit of God is inside of you. That's what Pentecost is.